0: present for the kids. Um, What do I want to uh, do with my money this week? You know, How can I shape it? Can I afford to go on holiday this year? Oh, there's that stuff needs doing on the house. We're making choices all the time, very many of us, about the way that we use our money. Maybe you're in a different position. Maybe the questions you ask are, how do I get a best return on my savings? I've got all this money stashed away. How do I get the best return on it? Or maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum. Maybe the question for you is, am I going to eat today or am I going to turn the heating on? And I know that's a real choice for many people in the society we live. In fact, some days it will be there's no heating and there's nothing to eat as well. Money really governs the lifestyle we live, the way we live our lives. We have so many expressions about money, don't we? I think it was Cabaret where they had money makes the world go round. Well, you may not feel your world's going round very fast at the moment. We say money talks, doesn't it? What's money saying about you? That fancy car. Maybe it says you're successful. Maybe that big bank account. Maybe it says, actually, no, I'm secure. Or maybe it is, I haven't got any money. I feel worthless. I feel useless. I can't do what I want to do. Money opens doors, they say, don't they? It creates influence. And certainly we know that if you don't have money, it's actually very difficult to get the front door of a rented property open. Where's the guarantor? Where's the deposit going to come from? Money affects so many of the ways that we live our lives, the choices we make. But we live, don't we, in a world that in many ways is obsessed about money because of this very reason and uh, all the time we're fed those advertising slogans aren't they? designed to help us to spend our money in the ways they'd like us to. This new car, this new year model is so much better than that one you bought two years ago. You can't possibly do without this sort of gadget on it. That holiday, you deserve it. Bit of sunshine, get away, forget it all. Those health products, they're going to make you so much better. Or maybe it's that new image, that new jumper. Where's he gone? Um, you know, actually it's going to make you uh, look so much smarter. Just give yourself a makeover. And what's the message that we're saying? We're saying money makes you happy. Money makes you secure. It means you don't have to worry. You can forget about your troubles with that new thing. It's interesting when we look in the Bible, we can see that Jesus knew the importance of money. A lot of the teaching that we find is actually about money. And that's what we're going to look at today. Just one verse, just to start you off, Matthew six twenty-four. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Stark, isn't it? You cannot serve God and money. If your life is all about running around, trying to get rich, trying to get that extra money for those extra things that you want to buy, if that's your focus, it's very hard to share that with a focus on the kingdom of God. It's such a difficult topic to sort on because I say, All of our situations are so very different. The last thing I want to set myself up for is having got all this sorted. I guess I've been a Christian, I've been trying to do some of the principles we've been talking here for, well, at least 40 years now, maybe a bit more than that even. And I can remember different financial situations through my life. I can remember when I was first, well just after we were first married, a couple of little kids and um, I'd been working on a building site and I came back to an office and I think my money went in half. And my wife wasn't working, it was tough, I didn't know how we could get through week by week, you know, working out. Now can I get back early enough from my job to get to the petrol station to do a few hours there so I can top up the income and make the bills? I'm not saying I've had all the circumstances that you've had, but it hasn't always been easy. We had four kids and lots of commitments. We were fortunate, I guess, uh, to earn fairly well, but it always felt like it was going out at least as fast as it was coming in. It was running into the bath, but the Tap was, or the plug was very wide open at the bottom and sometimes it was the wrong side of the bottom of the bath, I guess, if you get my meaning. <laughs> a bit older now, kids are off hand, it's a little bit easier. But I'm still learning, I've still not got it all right. But I guess the testimony for me is that I just believe that I've pro- as I've proved God in these areas, as I've stepped out, I do feel I've just received supernatural blessing, a blessing that has amazed me sometimes as I've stepped out. And my testimony is that in the whole area, God is so faithful, that God has been so faithful to me for all of the time I've been walking with him. So let's look at some of the things that the Bible tells us. And we're going to start with Matthew chapter 6 and verses 31 to 33. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God, for me, is always the source of the finance that I have. He's the one who makes it available to me. I might have had an employer for most of my life and he wrote me a check each month. But actually, I was always looking beyond that, knowing that actually God was the one who supplied. Maybe for you, it's the state. Maybe it's the system, wherever your money comes from. Actually, it's to God that we look. He's the one we seek to please in the way we work, the way we do our jobs. Actually, he is the source of our supply. And the principle is here, is clear here, isn't it? Put first God first, live his way. And the promise is that he give us what we need. Not necessarily the luxuries, but what we need to eat, what we need to drink, what clothing we need. And that for me, when I was in those times that were so tough, I can remember using this verse time after time after God, before God. Look, God, I'm trying to live your way. I'm trying to do it well. Won't you release to me what you need, what I need? And I know that for many of you, that is the sort of battle that you might still be fighting. Fight on. God promises to bless us in this way. I know it's time tough at some times. It's difficult too when we think of third world situations. Some of you know I lived in that part of the world, uh, overseas in India and other countries for a number of years. of the world population live on less than £10 a week. You think of a country like Zimbabwe. We live in a broken world, affected by greed, affected by corruption. Do I believe that for people in Zimbabwe, as they take this promise, they can apply it into their lives? I do believe that. It might look very different to how it will work out for me. But I would encourage them to press into God with the same verse that we would have. I think also we have a responsibility, of course, ourselves to fight for social justice in this world. To consider how we can use the resources uh, God has given us to be the solution. But part of the response in a broken world is that whatever God has given us, we can use to support others who are struggling. We can look at how it played out in the New Testament. If you look in Acts chapter 4 and verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And just a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 6, it talks about the distribution of food to the widows. Part of the reason there was no needy person, they were donating the proceeds of the things they'd sold and then it was shared out. Yeah, it's such a powerful statement to me, no needy person amongst them. As I look around the church, as I see the community that we are, that's what I want to be able to say for us As a church here, there's no needy person amongst us. It's why as leadership team, we have funds that we set aside to help those who are needing it. Those who are struggling, those who have come up against surprising expenditures. And sometimes we use those funds to give away quite large sums of money to help people. So that we can say as best we can, no needy person amongst them. The world, you know, says we must all stand on our own feet. We must be independent. But I believe that the Bible says much more that we're the family of God. When one suffers, we all suffer. We stand together on these things. And to me, it gives me a little bit of a a rationale of why there's different wealth uh, allocations, if you like, across the church. Why some of us have more than others, because... As we share together, we display the kingdom of God. We display what God's kingdom looks like. That's what grace is. It's about those who have some giving to others who don't. But when we think about God supplying the resources we need, it's all important that we don't get caught up in a gospel that talks about ever getting richer. We soon see, as we look at the Old Testament, we see people like Abraham. Someone who was blessed in many ways with land and sheep and all that sort of thing. We see it in the New Testament too. People like Priscilla and Aquila. They were successful business people going from town to town, getting a return. But then we also see... Others where riches were taken away from them, at least for part of their lives. You think of Job and his pleading before God, standing there innocently before God as finance was stripped away from him. We think of people like Joseph too, time in prison. The Apostle Paul, he said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He knew that variety, that spectrum of circumstance in his life. You may be feeling, this doesn't seem to be working out for me. I don't have any money at the minute. Does that mean that God is not pleased with me? I don't believe you can say that. We see it in the life of Job. But sometimes God actually works in those situations to teach us other things. 1 Timothy 6 says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and full desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This isn't a prosperity gospel that says God is looking to shower all of us with loads of money. Of course, we look for God's blessing as we're obedient to Him, and that blessing can come both spiritually and financially. But even if He doesn't bless, we still keep honour in Him, learning to be content in every circumstance. We you think of this whole area of riches, you think, I think perhaps of that rich young man in Matthew chapter 19. He came to Jesus, he said he kept all the laws, he'd done everything that was required. And what did Jesus say to him? Go sell what you possess and give to the poor. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And it led on to that phrase, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to the, enter the kingdom of god it 's not the ask of all of us it 's probably not even the ask of many of us, but for this man, God put his finger on the problem. You remember the Zacchaeus the tax collector in Luke chapter nineteen, when he came to Jesus when he saw the gospel that Jesus was presenting, he said. Half of my give goods I give to the poor. And I've, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. The call of God for Zacchaeus affected his wallet. In a way, the call of God always will. As we come to Jesus, we give him all that we have. Remember maybe when Nat talked about money at that time, she said, actually, You know, she'd done this exercise of looking down her bank statement, seeing where her money went. What did that say about her love for God in the way she used her money? And it's a good exercise. How are we honouring God with the money we have? Mark chapter 4 talks about the deceitfulness of riches when it talks about the seeds amongst thorns. We said earlier, didn't we, many talks, but the reality is it gives us lies, false hope and confidence. Just one little verse from Proverbs 30 that I found, that I thought balanced this very well. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful, needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Let's just move on now just to think a little bit about how we steward the money God has given us. Matthew chapter 6 says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This whole concept that actually as we use money well in this life. We see rewards in the life to come. It's not a way of thinking that I sometimes even really like. But actually it's what the Bible says to us. That as we use our money well here. Actually we build up rewards in heaven. 1 Timothy 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us, us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold of that which is truly life. Don't be put off because it says rich. Many of us have significant resources to steward. And we can take this verse and use it for the way that we use our money. Another aspect of stewarding our well I just wanted to touch on was integrity. I feel this is just such an important aspect. Aspect to the way that we handle our money. We know that Jesus said give to Caesar what is Caesar. And give to God what is God's. Each of us we need to make sure that we're paying our taxes well. That we're declaring the income that we have. Integrity means no cash payments under the radar. What do you do about claiming Your expenses. I've never run my own business in that sense, but I am quite involved in the finances of the church here. And we try to manage that with the utmost integrity. And I think the same principle does apply when you think across the business world. If you can't come with that integrity before God, I'd have great sort of difficulty in thinking I could also ask God to bless me and to supply what I needed. So to summarise, God promises to provide us with what we need. He doesn't promise that we were all going to be rich. But he does call us to be good stewards of what we have. Handling our money with integrity, giving back to God from what he has given to us. Sharing with others in the church and outside. And so just finally for the last ten minutes or so we're going to think a little bit about what it means to give in the way that the Bible tells us. And a picture that I have loved as I've been thinking about this topic is... The one of the, uh, from Luke 21, and I'll read it to you. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. That's as much of the story we're told, so you sort of speculate a little bit. But you think that rich man, you know, perhaps it had been a good year for him. Maybe he'd got his tithes all sorted out. I know that's what the Lord tells me. I can put that aside. I've also got all this extra. I can put that again. And I can save that. I'm feeling really secure now. Yeah, I can just push this into the uh, temple. They're going to be jolly pleased with this. It's a good big tithe. But actually, how much did it really cost him? Might have been a fair sum. But maybe he could afford it. He still got plenty put by. And we see that contrast with the widow, don't we? I wonder where her two coins had come from. Maybe she'd been begging on the streets. Maybe she'd been doing some sort of menial job. Actually, it wasn't very much to bring at all. She really felt rather ashamed. But it was all she had. Perhaps she didn't really know now how she was going to feed herself, but she still wanted to give to God, and so quietly slipped in the two copper coins. Who was God more pleased with? It tells us, doesn't it? Actually, it's about our heart attitude. God is much more interested in our heart attitude than in how much we give. Whether we're giving out of duty, begrudgingly, maybe the minimum I can get away with guess if I'm doing this, God must be pleased with me. No, we need to ask God to help us find joy in giving. As we consider how God is able to use the money that we use for him, the joy of obedience as we respond in the way that he calls us to. God doesn't need your money, He doesn't need my money. But it's an expression Of our gratitude, our thankfulness to God. A chance to show our devotion an expression of our worship. We see again, and we touched on it, how it worked in the early church. That distribution to the widows. Finance from others selling land or houses and laying it at the apostles' feet. When you come a bit later in the uh, Bible, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians You talk about the it talks about the offerings that were gathered for the needs of uh, some of the Christians who were suffering. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul tells the Corinthians he tells the Corinthians about the Macedonians, and it says their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity for the relief of the saints in Judea. It says they were begging Paul for the favour of taking part in the offering. You know, that's Paul's uh, blissful day when uh, we're all coming to him and just pleading for the opportunity to give our finance into various things that God lays on our heart. But it's a godly response. These Macedonians themselves, they were struggling, they were in poverty, and yet they overflowed in a wealth of generosity to the saints. I kind of never have been that much of a fan of gift days, but actually... This gives me a whole new perspective on gift days, that chance to respond to the needs that God puts on our heart. It's so exciting when actually God grips us and grips our wallets. And Paul talked to the Corinthians in chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I wonder what generosity, giving bountifully, means to you. You know, it's such a matter of the heart what God is saying to each of us. You may be the person like that widow with the two copper coins. That's fine. Give what God puts on your heart. He's pleased with that. You might want to pray for more, but be content with what God has given you to give. We can look at the Old Testament principles, the principle of tithing that originated with Abraham. People gave 10% the first fruits of their crops and earnings, giving to the Levites, the priests, for their welfare. And then on top of that, there would have been free will and other offerings. The New Testament doesn't actually repeat this instruction apart from where Jesus endorses the tithes of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. But we are told that Jesus has come not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill what it was pointing to. And many of us will take that tithing principle And at least want to give at that level. And find blessing and joy in doing so. Do recognise though it's a significant sum. Maybe particularly if you've not been used to giving in this way. I wonder what your household income is. Is it 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 a year? 40,000 a year, a tithe actually is 330 pounds a month. That's a lot of money. No one has that lying around. Maybe for you, you might think, I'd like to do that, but perhaps it's going to take time to get there. That's good. Start where you are. Stay up with what you can do now. But make time to get your heart in the place where God can lead you and you can uh, give more. Maybe for some of us, expenditures have reduced now. perhaps is not so difficult anymore. Maybe for you, God is encouraging you to do more. What do you do when those windfalls come? That refund, that legacy. What's your first thought? Is your first thought, how much of this should I give to God? God will direct you. God will speak to your heart. But ask him to lead you in what generous means for you. And secondly, the Bible tells us to be cheerful, to find joy in our giving. God's interested in our hearts we've seen again and again. It's important it's part of that grateful act of worship. Realistically, I know, it's hard to be cheerful about committing to give away the money that could buy you a new car or maybe you could be putting by for some winter sun on a day like today we need to look at what our money can accomplish it can do so much we can employ someone in the church we can support the alpha course that's running we can finance a young person going to new day where lives get changed Example from the way we use the funds that we distribute at the church here, where people have been helped into housing, where deposits were difficult, where there have been immigration issues that have held families apart, where un- unjust custody battles have been won so that families can come back together. There's a joy in the way that we use our money, and there's a the joy in the act of obedience. We can look at the church, yes, I've got a part in that. I've contributed there. The Bible, as we've seen in that passage, tells us that God supplies what we need, not so that we become rich, but so that we can be generous and a blessing to others. It's amazing, isn't it, that as they gave to one another, God is glorified. Says their grateful hearts resulted in many thanksgiving to God. That's why it's so important that we give in that way through the church. It's not an individual he's glorified, but actually it brings glory to God Himself as financial needs are met. So I hope that we've been set out some helpful principles today the objective of what we're doing is not in any way to bring condemnation but actually to inspire God calls us to be generous we have a generous God we need to think about what generosity means for us I'm so grateful that actually we are part of a generous church a church that knows what it is to give generously to God We don't always get it right, but we do seek to use the resources we have to take forward the kingdom and at that basic level to try to ensure that there's no needy person amongst us. As I say, this isn't a call for your funds, although I guess it might result in that we as elders aren't aware of anybody's individual giving. But it is a call to open your heart to God. What is God saying to you about the way you use your finances? Whether you're at that extreme end where it's been so tough. Maybe you're now getting help with CAP or that debt management order to get your finances into place. Well done. Well done. Keep going. Keep working it through. Maybe you're someone who's never ever really worked this out. I can't quite see how giving could be possible at the sort of levels I've been talking about. Start where you are. Set a budget. See what God is saying in your heart. What generous means for you. Maybe you're a young person. I think the young people are in today. Well, I hardly got any money at all. Start where you are. Get into this early form good habits now what would 10% of the money that you've got look like, where would you want to give that actually if you form good habits at a young age it gets easier as you go on you older person, maybe you've got a bit extra now there's nothing wrong with that good to have a few more holidays some of those things that you deserve but actually make sure that you're examining your heart as you consider what you do with your excess. Are you tithing in every area? Those windfills. What will your legacy look like? And finally, where's your money going? Is it going to the various good things that you've picked up over the years? Or is it going into the church that you're part of? Into that storehouse? Why don't we just pause for a moment. I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to hand over to John who will uh, just help us to, to go further forward. Do you want to stand? Why don't you stand? It's just part of our response to God now. Saying, oh God, we are open to whatever you would want to say to us in this whole area of finance. Maybe it's difficult at the moment. Maybe you can't see the way forward. Father, I pray. Lord, even now for those who are struggling in this area. Lord God, that fresh confidence will come to them. Lord God, to take hold of your promises. Lord, that you will meet their needs, Lord God. Father, for those of us just... I'm not sure how we can go further forward in this. I just pray. Lord help us, Lord God, Lord, to respond with the to the leading of our heart, Lord God, Lord, to make a plan to set a budget. Lord, to really hear what you're saying to us. For those for whom it's easier now. Lord God, Lord, we we want to bring you the sacrifice of our finance as well as the sacrifice of our praise and our worship. Lord, keep working in our hearts, I pray. Keep working in our hearts. Amen. Thank you so much, Steve.